Well, last Sunday we started a, a series called The Wonder of Worship, and in that first message I talked about the importance of worship, and we sort of surveyed the Old Testament and the New Testament and saw that worship is a very, very, very big deal. It's a big deal to God. It's actually a big deal to us. We noted last uh, Sunday that all human beings were actually created to worship. We can't help but worship. The question is always, who do we worship? And then once we've established who we worship, the question then becomes how. And we saw that in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, worship is very much centered around the subject of sacrifice. And that's really just another way of saying it's very much centered around Jesus. We ended that first message last week, many of us agreeing that since worship is important to God, since my worship and your worship really does matter to him, we need to become better at it. Uh, All of us do. Uh, I do. Uh, I'm going to suggest that you do. Uh, Staff does. Officers do. Everybody, everybody at Deer Creek Church will benefit by becoming better worshipers. We need to understand what we're doing when we worship and be on the same page as much as possible when we worship. So this morning's message, as you can already tell, is very different because I usually don't start preaching at six or seven minutes after nine. Uh, And the beauty of this is I get to talk through the whole service. That's the beauty of this, at least for me. Uh, What we're going to do this morning is um, it's very different. So if you're visiting, um, you're getting a a look sort of inside as we reflect together about our worship. Uh, This is more than anything like a clinic on worship, if you will. So to get started, I I want us to do what God followers have done literally for thousands of years. Uh, They would begin their worship with something called a call to worship. Uh, understand that we are in a dialogue with God. Whenever we gather in this room, we're actually talking to him and he's talking to us. We're even talking to each other. That's what public worship actually is. It's this conversation. It's this dialogue that we have. And it starts right at the very beginning of worship. Uh, To start our worship, we have a call to worship. And we can do this in many, many different ways. Uh, For example, we just sang a song that really called us into worship, into the presence of God. That's one way, and we'll uh, we'll do that in a moment as well again. um, But there are other ways we call ourselves into worship. We can can actually call each other to come worship God. For example, the psalmist in Psalm 34, 3 says, and he's speaking to the, the others around him, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. He's calling the, the people of Israel to come worship. In Psalm 99, 5, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Uh, or we can be called by a song, which is what we did at the, the beginning of this service. We're going to right now actually sing a song. Uh, it's the, the Revelation song. Is that what it's called? Yeah, the Revelation song. And what else is really cool about this is this is the only time I, I get to actually sing a solo for you. And I hope you appreciate this. Uh, in, the, in the song that we'll be singing, we'll be singing these words. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. We're going to declare that together. Uh, holy, holy is he. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. It's a, it's a great declaration. It's a call as we sing together. We're literally calling each other into the presence of God. So let's, let's do so. Well, good morning, good morning. Uh, last Sunday we started a series called The Wonder of Worship. And in that first message, I talked about the importance of worship. And we sort of surveyed the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what we saw was that worship 
in both the Old and New Testament is a very, very, very big deal. Um, All human beings worship, whether they know it or not. We are actually just made to be worshiping creatures. And the question always is really, who do you worship? And once you've determined that, then the next question is, how? How do you go about worship? We saw that in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, worship is very much centered around the subject of sacrifice, which is actually just another way of saying it's very much centered around Jesus. We ended the first uh, message last week, many of us agreeing that since worship is so important to God, uh, since my worship and your worship matters so much, that we need to get better at it. All of us, me, uh, you, uh, leaders in this church, uh, it's worth our spending some time reflecting on how to become better worshipers. We need to understand what we are doing when we worship and kind of be on as much as possible the same page together. And so this morning's message is really, really different from what we would normally do on a Sunday morning. And already that should be clear to you because I'm up here talking Already, which is a wonderful thing, it gives me a lot more time to say a lot more things. But uh, so this worship is going to be uh, quite different. If you're visiting with us, this isn't usually how a worship service uh, service unfolds. Uh, but what we are doing this morning is it's almost like a clinic on worship. We're going to worship through the various things that we do on a Sunday morning, and we're going to talk a little bit bit about why we're doing them and what we're doing. So to get started, I want to do. Uh, I want us to do what God followers have done for literally thousands of years. They would begin their worship with something called a call to worship. Understand that we are in a dialogue with God. Whenever we come into this room together, we're actually having a conversation. We are in dialogue with God and we are in dialogue with each other. When we're in public worship, that's what's going on. God talking to us, us talking to him, oftentimes us even talking to each other. And this dialogue starts right at the beginning of a worship service. So to start our worship, uh, we have this call to worship. For example, uh, there are many different ways that we can be called into worship. Uh, We can call each other to worship in places like Psalm 34.3. There the psalmist is speaking to the, the host of worshipers and says, Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Uh, In Psalm 99, another example of that, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. You see, it's a a worship leader calling the people into uh, the worship of God. Uh, We can sometimes also be called into worship through song. Uh, We had an example of that. uh, And just a moment ago, we were singing and we were actually speaking to God in that song, welcoming him in this place. We're going to worship God now in another song. The song of Revelation, it's called. And in the uh, song that we're about to sing, the lyrics say this. Worthy is the lamb who was saying. This is is a declaration on our part. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is he. Sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. So we're actually saying to each other, sing a new song to him. So we're like calling each other into worship. So let's uh, stand up and, and let's be called into worship with this song. You can be seated. Another way we call each other to worship uh, is by speaking to God directly, the way the psalmist does in Psalm 21. Be exalted, O Lord. In your strength we will sing and praise your might. 
Psalm 57, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 118, you are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. It's us actually speaking to God collectively together. Or sometimes in worship, God actually calls his people to come into his presence and to worship him. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. But regardless whether we call each other to worship, uh, whether we speak to God in worship, or whether God calls us to worship, regardless whether we do this in a reading or, or in a song or by reading scripture, the important point is to remember why we've come here. You know, it's not to hear music as much as we like music. That's not the reason we come here. It's not to hear a message as much as you all love my messages. It's not to see friends, even though we love seeing our friends. It's really because we are actually called to come together in a regular rhythm on a Sabbath day. We are called as God's children and as citizens of Jesus' kingdom. We are actually called into the presence of Almighty God. And that is a remarkable privilege. And it's there in His presence in a, in a gathering like this, a public gathering, a worship gathering where we practice surrendering to him in worship. And we give him honor, and we practice doing that together. And we give him praise, and we remember who he is, and of course, in the same token, we remember who we are. And when we do this, this actually gives us perspective. It gives us what we need to navigate our lives the way we are supposed to, actually the way we see Jesus navigate his life. It's no coincidence at all that in Jesus' life, one of his practices, one of his rhythms was on the Sabbath day, you would find Jesus in a synagogue worshiping with others. It's one of the ways he just celebrated and gave glory and gave honor and praise to his heavenly father. When Jesus was in Jerusalem, we we see the practice over and over of Jesus going to the temple uh, for the purpose of worship and there listening and and also teaching himself. Now, once we have been called into the presence of God, we typically do something else. We magnify God. We praise God. We honor God. The psalmist says in Psalm 118, you, and he says this actually, uh, if you read the whole psalm, he's in a, a set of very difficult circumstances. But it's right in the midst of those difficult circumstances. He, he says, you are my God, and I will give you thanks You are my God, and I will exalt you. David says in Psalm 34, Come magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And that is a big part of what we do together in worship. And when we do this, uh, we do this when we pray. We do this when we sing. We do this if we're reading scripture. We do this if we hear testimony. Um, There's so many different ways to exalt God in the midst of our worship. Now, uh, we're going to pause right now, and I'm just going to pray and acknowledge God's presence here and, and uh, tell him that we want to exalt him. And so would you please pray with me? Father God, it is a privilege to be able to come together with others in this place and to exalt you, to remember who you are, to remember who we are, to remember what you've done in sending your son Jesus to this earth to live, to die, and to be 
resurrected from the dead. And Father, we want what we say, what we do, what we reflect on here this morning to exalt you and to give you praise. That is our heart's desire. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, anytime you magnify a physical object, you're taking a a lens of some sort with a microscope or maybe the object is far away and you have a lens through a telescope and you examine it very closely. What's so interesting about us is that often in our lives, we tend to magnify our problems. We magnify the hardships that we're experiencing. We magnify the challenges that are in front of us, things that we have to do, things that we have to overcome. But in worship, understand, this weekly rhythm where we come together once a week, uh, what we do is we finally get it right because we come together to magnify God. And it's almost as if we take some of the struggles that we're experiencing, and it's not as if we forget about them. Some of our struggles are so big you can't forget about them. But there is a different focus. We put our focus on this great God. We magnify Him, this God who is bigger than our problems and all of our challenges. And when we magnify God, we look at the aspects of his personality, aspects of his character, uh, aspects of certain attributes about him, things that we otherwise forget. I, I marvel how quickly I get into the details of my life and I forget about God and who he is and what he's like. Um, but as we come into a worship service, we fill our minds with the the sheer goodness of our God. I've said this many times, God is so much gooder than we imagine. We, we magnify the greatness of God. We reflect on the glory of God, just how glorious he is. And I'll tell you, worship like that actually changes us. When we worship like that, we gain perspective. When we worship like that, we see ourselves and our circumstances differently. And the God of the Bible becomes infinitely more than just a a character we read about in a book or something that uh, a particular religion talks about. He becomes real and tangible to us when we connect with him in worship. And anytime someone comes into the real presence of God, uh, which is, you know, right here, right now, he is at, whether we're even aware of it, he is present here with us wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus said, it'd be right there in the midst of them. Anytime somebody encounters God in a fresh way, what do they always do? What happens when somebody actually encounters God? Well, they feel very small. They always do. Oftentimes the posture that they adopt is they fall face down because they feel very small. And they marvel at God's bigness and God's greatness and God's goodness. Think of Job if you've ever read the book of Job. Everything is going wrong, deeply, deeply wrong in Job's life. He's filled with questions, and he's filled with doubts, and he has no answers to any of his questions. And if you have read the book, you remember he eventually comes into the presence of God near the end of that book, and there he experiences, he sees the wonder and the majesty of God. He finds himself directly in the presence of God's awesome power and holiness and sheer goodness and beauty. And he falls on his face in humility in that sense, in that place. And suddenly he doesn't have any more questions. 
He didn't really get answers to his questions, but in the presence of God, you see, uh, his questions really don't matter anymore because now he knows for sure there is a being who's really that good. There is a being who's really that powerful. There is a being who's really that glorious, and that puts his own suffering circumstances in a different light. You know, all the way through the Bible, right to the very last book, the book of Revelation, there's this series of visions of worship that's happening in the heavens. And the heavenly creatures are in the presence of God, and over and over and over again, they're just overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed with God's greatness. Sometimes people can read, uh, oh, a book like the book of Revelation, and they can be mistaken in thinking that God made these creatures, and then then he, uh, he sort of condemned them to having to worship him for the rest of their eternity. That's not at all what's going on. These creatures that we read about in heaven uh, won't go anywhere else. They long to be in the presence of Almighty God. And they long to give Him praise and to give Him worship. There's There's a washing of joy over them constantly as they focus on and as they magnify God. They say things like, for you are worthy, God. And they talk about why God is so worthy in Revelation 4. For you are worthy, O God, of glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, but it doesn't stop there. They go on to say, by your hand they exist. God sustains, God loves, God cares for everything that he has made. Every creature, everything that he's made. And that simple truth right there changes everything in life. You see... We as Christ followers, we believe that the day is coming when God is going to fix all injustice, all hatred, all brokenness, all sin that's in the world, sin that's in us, God is going to fix. This past week, we had a very tragic thing happen in our neighborhood. In a home uh, just a few doors down from us, um, it's a really wonderful family. They have two children, a boy and a girl. Uh, The boy's name is Edward. Edward is nine. And um, a few weeks back, Edward was um, at a bus stop waiting to get picked up to go to school, and he just kind of collapsed. And so they obviously took him to the doctor to get him checked out and uh, found out that he had some heart conditions that needed to be corrected, needed to get corrected. And then just this last week, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday morning, same thing. He was, he was at the bus stop, and he just collapsed. And nine-year-old Edward died. Can you imagine? I mean, we live in a broken, broken, broken world where things like that happen. And the interesting thing is, our God cares more about that. Our God hates that brokenness more than we do. That's why he did something about it. That's why he's going to do something about it. And Christians have that perspective. Even when awful, awful things like that happen, we have a bigger perspective. And we look forward to the day when God's kingdom will come on earth and his will will be done on earth as it is in where? in heaven where that kind of brokenness does not exist now 
Understand, God's people have in every generation responded to the goodness and the greatness and the plan of God to fix all this brokenness. And one of the key ways that we've responded to God is through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. Uh, songs help us express ourselves to God. For so many of us, some of the most important moments of our life are marked by a song or by some special piece of music. Moments like when you first met your spouse. Maybe you have a special song. Holly and I had some special music that we loved very, very much when we first met. I wish I could remember it. Uh, and, and then when you get married, don't you often, too, also have special music at your, at your wedding oftentimes? Or, or even this on the Saturday side when somebody that you love deeply passes away i mean i've sat with many families where we're having the conversation what do you want to have happen at a memorial service and their mind very very frequently most of the time goes to what song would he or she have wanted played what song would he want us to sing at the memorial service song and so worship too should be marked by songs should be marked by great music. You know that 85 times in the Bible we're commanded to sing to the Lord? 85 times. It's one of the most common commands in all of Scripture. We're told in the book of James, um, the book of James, the brother of Jesus, writes this and says, Is anyone happy? Well, let him sing songs of praise. Where does happiness come from? Well, wholesome happiness comes from our loving God. And James knows that. And he says, well, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. We're told in Acts 16 that Paul and Silas, they're on a missionary journey, and they've had a bad day of it. They've been whipped and beaten. They're locked in shackles. They're in a prison. It's midnight, and what are they doing? They're singing. It was the only thing they could think to do that, that would lighten their spirits and help them to magnify God and not their problems. They sang songs, even in the midst of a really bad, really dark day. And we are, as God's people, to be a people of song. And uh, I know that some of us sometimes um, kind of dread the song part. We're going to talk about that here now. I want to say just a couple of words about how we sing together, how you can use singing to worship God. Some of you have wonderful, beautiful voices, and you sort of know who you are, and the people around you know who you are, and you love to honor God by using your voice in worship. And then others of you may not be able to sing very well at all, and the person next to you knows who you are. And the fact of the matter is it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Because when you sing, you actually delight God just by what you say and by what you think. You delight God, you see. Um, Others of us... uh, when you sing, you, you, you not only get to think about the words and say the words uh, out loud in song, but you get to add beautiful artistic sound to it. And that really delights God. St. Augustine said one time, when you sing, you pray twice. And what he meant by that is you bless God twice. Okay, so when you sing, you, uh, you bless God twice, once with the words and once with the music. Some of us only get to bless God once, you know, because we're making a joyful noise, but that's all it is. But that's, it still blesses God. Make use of song. Song and singing have always been a part of worship. So do not make the mistake of singing uh, or of thinking that singing is just filler material. It's warm-up material. It's for other people. It's optional. It's not really optional. And parents, I would say to you, when you have students or children in the service with you, um, they, they watch everything you do. 
Uh, They notice whether you're distracted. They notice whether you're engaged. They notice whether you're singing. And if you're a lousy singer, they know that. Or if you just are passionate about singing, they know that too. The point is this. Singing is integral to worship. Therefore, when we sing, be intentional about it. Be very thoughtful about what we sing. Use the lyrics, even if the lyrics are simple. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, okay, I got it, hallelujah. You know, that's what many of us think. But use the lyrics. Choruses can be kind of simple sometimes. But use the words, even if the melody or the music is not entirely to your taste. We're going to magnify God together right now. We're going to sing a, an old, old hymn written by Charles Wesley called Oh for a Thousand Tongues. Amen. You can be seated. You know, clapping is okay. If that, if you, because that too, that too in a worship service, uh, you know, is you're, you're not really clapping to uh, acknowledge a performance. You're, you're clapping as, yeah. I agree with that. That's good. I like what I just sang, what I just heard. Now, some of you like that, what we just sang and what you just heard, and uh, some of you probably didn't. That's uh, that's how this thing works. Every time we sing, though, regardless of the song or regardless of the chorus, here's the thing. We either use those moments for the purpose of worship, or there is definitely a sense in which we just offend God. Let me explain what I mean. Um, if, uh, if I sing words like, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace, but I'm not at all thinking about my redeemer, uh, nor am I moved by his glories. Uh, and I have no real appreciation for the triumphs of his grace. I get dangerously close at that point to what the Israelites were chastised for in Malachi chapter 1. There we read, this is God speaking, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires or sing useless words, we might add, on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands because it's not a real offering. It doesn't come from here. It's something you're not even thinking about. And this brings us to something else that we do in worship that uh, is really, really, really important. It's something called the confession of sin and the assurance of pardon. Why do we do this? Well, for very good reason. We do it precisely because when we come into this place, guess what? We come in as very broken people. And even as we worship, we worship as broken people. We, We aren't even able to get worship right. I wonder, anybody here ever been worshiping? And maybe if you just have a really wonderful voice, even as you're, you're singing, you're thinking, man, I have a wonderful voice. Has that ever happened? Or, or maybe even as you're worshiping and you're just thinking, man, I'm, a, I'm an awesome worshiper. <laughs> anybody ever done that besides the pastors? Anybody ever done that? Because I, I think that happens all the time. It just goes, we can't even get worship right, friends. And so in worship, we come into the presence of a perfect, holy, good, magnificent, righteous God, do we not? And there we're reminded over and over and over that he is worthy, but I am not. I am not. And that's bad news. 
That's the truthful bad news right there. And so right in the middle of our worship, we pause to confess our sins together. Why? Because we need to. Christians all around the world have been doing this whenever they gather for worship for thousands of years. In fact, even before Jesus was on this planet, so to speak, in the flesh, uh, the Israelites, when they would gather, they would practice public confession. So this has always gone on in the worship of God's people. In Leviticus 5, it says, when anyone is guilty of any of these ways, and it actually before that in the context lists a whole lot of ways that we sin against God. Then it says, if anyone is guilty in any of these ways, he must confess in what way he has sinned. And as a penalty for the sin he has committed, he must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering. And the priest will, uh, shall make atonement for him for his sin. And, and thank God we don't have to do that. Thank, thank God, you know, we're not bringing our animals, you know, into the sanctuary here. And one of the pastors goes down and slits the throat and gathers the blood and sprinkles it uh, on you and sprinkles it on the altar and throws it on the altar. Can you imagine the aromas of this? And we don't do that. Because we have had one sacrifice once and for all in our Savior, Jesus, who makes that not necessary anymore. He is our sacrifice, you see. And uh, we delight in that. And so when we come together, though, we just have to acknowledge and tell the truth about ourselves. Uh, and, and if you come to church and you pretend, pretend that you don't have a sin problem, that's big pretending. That's a lot of pretending right there. And that's why we do a confession of sin. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would. And we're going to read this confession of sin together. And always when we do this... Own this. Make it your own. Don't read it if you're married and think, yeah, my spouse really needs this. That's not what this is about. This is about personal ownership of our own sin problem. So we're going to read this together, and we're going to read it like we mean it. Here we go. Almighty God, we acknowledge and confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Deepen within us our sorrow for the wrong we have done and the good we have left undone. And you can be seated. But thank God in a worship service, that's not the stopping place. That would be awful if that was the stopping place. Um, thank God we go to God's love now and we go to his forgiveness. And this is what an assurance of pardon is. And this is important that we do this. And you see on the screen there, this assurance of pardon, and there's that little place that says people. When we get to that place, you're going to read it out like you mean it. Because here's the deal. The good news is that Christ calls us to new life and enables us to begin again and again and again and again and again. It's new mercies every morning with Jesus. And so friends, believe the good news of the gospel. Amen. Amen. So then what do we do in worship? Well, we go back to magnifying this great God of ours. It's just part of the dialogue that we have with God in worship. And usually most often here we do this after we've confessed sin and we've been reminded of our forgiveness. We dive right back into praise and adoration. And we're going to sing a song in just a moment that does exactly that. But along with that, we're also going to, we're going to give our gifts and uh, receive the offering. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me take a little drink here. Now you may or may not know this. But this is one of the most important parts. Of any worship service. 
for those who have come prepared to give. Because you understand worship is in its entirety giving back to God. That's really what worship is. And so when we come together, we acknowledge the fact that God is, he is so generous. He is so gracious. He is so giving to us. He has given us, after all, his own son. And so when we gather publicly, one of the things that Jesus' followers do is we give back to him. Our giving here, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, is to be an expression of the fact that really we know what we ought to be doing is giving him our whole lives, every part of us. And the offerings that we bring in a worship service are tokens of our love and our thanks and our devotion to him. They signify the intent of our heart to surrender to him fully. They're tangible ways of saying what I do here is not just words for me because it's real easy. If we're honest, if we're honest, it's real easy to have what we do in here just be going through the motions, just be words. And that's why offering is such a, an important part of real surrender. <laughs> and, and so I bring sacrificial offerings of tithes. And, and I say to God as I give, here I want you to have this, Father. I know what I have comes entirely from you. You give me every good gift. I mean, you care for me, Father. You sustain me. You love me day in, day out. And so I give these tithes and these offerings as worship to you. And this has always been a real important of part of God's worship of God's people, right? Now, I need to say this just so there's no confusion around it. Every leader here in this church, every officer, elder or deacon, every person on staff, and then so many more, I might add, of just those of you who lead a life group or are just deeply involved in the life of this church, make this a priority. God forbid we would stand up here and say, hey, here's something you ought to do, but we don't do it. And uh, this is an important part of, of our worship, and it's not something we would ask you to do uh, and being something that we don't do. You know, David says in Psalm 96, 80, he says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, because there is glory that's his due, yeah? He says, bring an offering and come into his courts, goes on to say, with praise and with thanksgiving. So the, the business of offering and giving and worship, these things are always connected in Scripture. They always are. They always are. And if you're a family, parents, figure out how you are going to include your kids on this. Maybe you pray about what you give with them. Maybe you include them in on a discussion, depending on their age and so, about what your family is going to give. But make your giving something serious, something thoughtful. <clears throat> what is God calling you to give regularly and consistently? Be real intentional about it. And as you put your gift in the basket, and I have to do a little parenthesis here, you know, a lot of us in this church give online. That's and so what, what I do, we give online, so when the basket comes by, and a lot of times they don't even hand it to me anymore. They just start in the row behind me. But so when, I, when the basket's getting passed, you know, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, you know, you know I give online, and, and you know, don't, don't forget, Lord. And, uh, and you know, I, I hope my gift is pleasing to you, you know. So um, make this an act of worship. Lord, this is an expression of my love for you. This is an expression of our family's love for you. You are a high, high priority.
priority. Now, I need to say a word about the spirit in which we give uh, our offerings because it ought to be uh, given in a great, with a great, great uh, sense of joy. Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. That's real interesting because that Greek word that's translated cheerful, uh, the root, it's the root word for the English word hilarious. That's what it is. It's hilarious. And so the offering ought to be a time of high hilarity for God's people. And if you think about it, it certainly is laughable giving your money away. I mean, come on, that's totally laughable. That's hilariously stupid, if you want my opinion. We live in a world that says you want to be happy and experience hilarity and joy? Well, then hold on to everything you can. Get more and more and more and more of everything. More stuff, more toys, more pleasure, more joys. But in the church, hear me on this, in the church, we do not believe that. Our values are different. Our perspective is different. We say and believe things like this, in Christ alone, my hope is found. Not in the stuff I have, not in the stuff I can accumulate. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. That's what we say in the church. So here we go. I'm going to have the ushers come forward and we're going to pray. We really wigged them out. They didn't know if we had forgotten to even take an offering, but we're going to pray, and then we're going to stand when you were asked, and we're going to sing this song in Christ alone. Pray with me. Father, we count it a privilege to be among your children, a part of your family, a part of your citizenry of heaven. We are blessed beyond measure because of this, God. You are going to see us through this life and its toils and its trials and its difficulties and right into the next, Lord, where it will be a place of joy and a place of surrender and a place of such, such excitement. And we thank you for that. And so, Father, many of us have come and we're bringing tokens of our expression of thanks and gratitude. And we would ask you to use these gifts for your glory and for your honor that Jesus' kingdom would expand into the hearts and the minds of people everywhere. This is our prayer. Prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, uh, well, you'll stand when you're told, I guess. Decimal. We'll we'll take up the offering. Here we go. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Yeah. You can be seated. Now, normally at this time, we'd start a message. But occasionally also we have the privilege and we really just celebrate these opportunities to receive new members or we will hear professions of faith. Uh, and, of course, that leads to uh, something called baptism, which is a, one of the sacraments of our church. Uh, in the first service, we actually had, um, had Tori Klausing and we had Bradley Byers uh, come up and make a profession of faith. We have some students who have actually gone through a class uh, where they have... Um, been studying and reflecting on and processing whether or not their faith is their own. For many students who grow up in a, in a Christian home, they, they hear uh, about Jesus. They see the inconsistencies in their home with their parents. Anybody here have a home with no inconsistencies? I'd like to meet you. You know what I'm saying. And then they see parents resolve those inconsistencies uh, in healthy ways or sometimes not. You know how this works, right? 
And, uh, and so they find themselves having to wrestle, where do I stand with the gospel, the good news of Jesus? And so we have a number of students that are coming up and that are going to be making a public profession of faith. Some of them are going to be baptized. Uh, one of the sacraments of our faith indicating that they believe in Jesus is a little bit like having that thing tattooed on your forehead. I have decided to follow Jesus. Well, spiritually speaking, it's what the sign of baptism is. It's a, it's a sign. It's a seal. So I'm going to ask Joseph to come up, and Joseph will, will be introducing uh, the students that will be making profession of faith and also be baptized. So Joseph, come on up. The end of our service is a benediction. And the, um, the essence of a benediction is just celebrating everything that we've been singing praises about. But it's also a key element of a benediction is the recognition that when we go forth from this place, we are a sent people. We're called into worship, but we're sent into the world to represent Jesus. So <clears throat> be dismissed with this benediction. Almighty God, be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us that your way may be known upon the earth and your saving power among all the nations. Empower all the peoples to praise you. O God, that the nations may be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Enable all the peoples to praise you, O God, for the earth has yielded its increase and you, our God, have blessed us. We ask that you will continue to bless us so that all the ends of the earth will come to revere you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.